Hi there everybody, Ed asked me to chime in and let you know about me. My name is Dan and I am weird. But I don't see weird as a bad thing. Weird just means people marching to the beat of a different drum, not fitting into that hole that society wants to shove you into. On my show, The Power of Weird, I'm talking to people like me, the weirder the better. So when you're done listening to this great episode of the Dead America Podcast, come on over to thepowerofweird.com and start the descent into your weirdom. And remember, be the weird you want to see in the world. I'll see you next time on The Power of Weird. You know, when people talk about neural networks and, you know, oh, it sounds scary, but it's really not. It's really, it's really thousands of functions passing data amongst themselves and then and then based on sort of the output of all those functions and then tensors which are the ability to change the in, the input through output of a function um it, we have then go we then can interpret that to say this this input of all of these pixels is a cat right because we've trained all of those sigmoid functions to recognize a cat and that's that's really all we're doing yeah so the Terminator is not coming to get everybody. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> there is no no such thing as general artificial intelligence, which is what a Terminator <laughs> would be, right? Yes, and and really, you know, we jokingly talk about that, but uh, to ease up fears, the the intelligence, the data, the technology, it's only as good as the people pushing it out. To overcome, you must educate. Educate not only yourself, but educate anyone seeking to learn. We are all dead America. We can all learn something. To learn, we must challenge what we already understand. The way we do that is through conversation. Sometimes we have conversations with others. However, some of the best conversations happen with ourselves. Reach out and challenge yourself. Let's dive in and learn something right now. Today we are with Chris Slee. He is an entrepreneur, product developer, and founder, principal, and chief product officer at AWH Software based in Dublin, Ohio. Chris, could you please introduce yourself and let people know just a little bit about you, please? Sure, that'd be, that'd be fine. Um, um, my name is Chris Lee. Uh, as, as it was just mentioned, I'm a, a chief product officer at AWH. We are a product engineering firm. We help companies that uh, come to us um, with uh, sort of ideas and we help them build that idea and whether that's a mobile application or a web application or uh, firmware, uh, circuit boards, you know, IoT, all those sort of kinds of things that, that allow people to take products out to the market is, and that's sort of what we do for a living. Uh, they tell us when they need to need capacity or they don't know how to do it themselves. And I've uh, spent about 30 years doing that right now. So uh, it, it's turned into you know, from, from you know, a passion to uh, a job. When did you find out that you wanted to become a software engineer? 
good story about that. I I was I was uh, eight when I was, and I'm not eight now, so uh, <laughs> this is uh, quite some time ago. My my dad. I don't know if you guys remember uh, the old Radio Shack, but my my dad was a ham radio operator, and uh, so we would go into Radio Shacks, and he would he'd be at the counter talking, you know, whatever ham radio I was talking about, and uh, there was this 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 box sitting on a table and it was a, a silver box and had a keyboard and, and a TV screen. And I went up to it and started touching the keyboard and it, and it came back and said syntax error. And so mm-hmm. I typed, you know, what's this, what is a syntax error? And it came back and said syntax error. I had no idea what this thing was. And then it came around the corner and I remember him still, he typed circle and parentheses and some numbers and then closed the, and hit enter and the screen cleared. And there was this, circle, this red circle in the middle of the screen, it was right then and there that I, I just got what was going on, and, and that's, that's all she wrote. And my, my father ended up getting me a VIC-20, so now I'm dating myself, and uh, taught myself assembly language, and that's what I've been doing ever since. Yeah, it's been a while since I've played in that stuff, but I remember uh, BASIC and VW BASIC. Oh, yeah. I, I played with a Tandy TSR-80 for a uh, few years there when they first kind of came out. And I used to do that uh, programming for little quizzes and things, and I found it fascinating. Oh, yeah. It, it just had that 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 air of totally new, change the world, like nothing existed yeah. like that before. and. I was just hook, line, and sinker. That was mine. That was my thing. I used to yeah. make uh, little games and, and back in the shareware days, and, and there was a little market that allowed me to put them in plastic bags and sell them in there for a dollar, and some people bought them. It was, it was a blast. Those were the days. Well, yeah, I can remember spending many, many hours reading through code, trying to find a simple little uh, out-of-place piece of code, you know, and my wife, I, I'll tell you, my wife hated it, <laughs> because I couldn't dot matrix printers, you know, a nine dot printer, and for three hours, it's sitting there at 3 a.m. in the morning, you know, and <laughs> she's wanting to go to bed, so those days are highly memorable, for sure. Yes. <laughs> well, I, I got to tell you, Ed, that those days still exist because there are many times when even very senior programmers will be looking at them going, what is wrong? And someone will look over their shoulder and go, oh, you're missing a stomach going right there. So. Yes, that's all it is. <laughs> and that experienced eye always catches that little flub. Yep. And and you, you've spent eight to 12 hours just searching for that. Little, it, <laughs> It can be very frustrating, that's for sure. You've you've got the uh, mindset, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah it's just, you, you just have to stick with it or hope somebody else can bail you out. Okay. Yeah, are you still actively coding then? I do, yeah. Um, my current, uh, one, of my, one of our clients turned into, um, you know, as we got bigger, or as it got bigger, um, I got drawn more into it. So yes, I'm, I'm I still actively write code. I'm doing a bunch of uh, machine learning stuff and some Swift mobile development. And so yeah, I, I write code every day. Yeah, I find it fascinating. Let's get into that a little bit about machine learning and art of 
artificial intelligence. There's a difference. Could you explain to the people what those differences are and why they are actually connected together? Sure. Yeah, artificial intelligence is a is sort of a uh, uh, if you think of it as a as a circle, and machine learning is a component of artificial intelligence. The artificial intelligence, you know, the sort of the definition that we use is uh, when a machine can approximate, you know, human decision making. Machine learning is how you teach a machine to approximate human decision making, right? So, uh, so artificial intelligence, the use of models that were built using machine learning. Uh, to then make decisions. So if you think about self-driving cars, right? A self-driving car can't make any decisions on its own. What happens is they've trained many, many, many models or sort of, uh, you know, the equivalent of thought processes. And all those work together under sort of the umbrella of artificial intelligence to allow a car to drive down the road. Because the, the old saying we use is you cannot, you, you would not be able to write enough code to make a self-driving car, you, you cannot if then else your way into a self-driving car. <laughs> so yeah. machine learning allows us to build these models. The models they are predictive and they, they help the computer understand the decision process that's being made. And you train models you, you using machine learning, you get the model and then you use the model and the use of the model is artificial intelligence. So now basically it's still pre-programmed information though. Well, we've taken a different tack, right? So when a programmer sits down and we open up a, a code editor and we start with, you know, if something is true, then do this other thing. And if uh, it's not true, do this second thing, right? That's, that's a very sort of structured way to think about it. Machine learning doesn't, and artificial intelligence doesn't do that. What we do is we take data and then we use math, they're called tensors, uh, to be able to construct what is an approximate, you know, if you think about it as sort of how the brain works, it's a neural network. It's a network of neurons, um, and it's all math-based. And what happens is over time, you can train uh, these neurons to understand patterns and understand, uh, you know, the inputs and outcomes of, of data. And you do that enough with enough data, and then you have something called a kind of model. And then a model then gets used by code that says, hey, I'm going to pass this data into the model. And the model comes back and tells me the meaning of the data, and then I can take action on that. Uh, so it's, it's not the same as starting from scratch with a blank sheet and just starting writing code. We actually approach, it, we actually approach teaching uh, artificial intelligence like we teach kids. We show them examples, and over a period of time, the the models get better and better because of the examples that we give them. And then, so we actually just train the model just like you would train a kid. Interesting. So now, when you go through these models, you program the models. There is a predictive uh, output. You you kind of expect you want this out of it. As you grow these models and predictive learning sessions, what is your success rate, you know, <laughs> over over time? And how has that grown over time? Yeah, so um, we, we can we can talk about 
uh, predictive capability, right, of, a, of any particular model. And a great one to, to use as an example is um, there's a, a company here in town that is building um, some artificial intelligence to recognize cancer in certain types of cells. Well, there are oncologists that also will look at this slide, the exact slide, and can detect whether that's, that has cancer or not, right? That's how we used to do it, is a human would look at the slide and then go, yes, this is, this is a problem. They, they would you know, zoom in and, and, and sort of interrogate that particular cell to understand its nature and its say this type of cancer. Um, and then you would, you know, um, you know, you would have cancer and then you would go through treatment. Well, we've been able to uh, train models to, to beat oncologists in, un, in identifying cancer that an oncologist might say isn't cancer, but it turns out that it is. And now it's not by a lot. You know, oncologists are, I think, it's, I think the numbers that we're dealing with is like 94.7% and the machine learning models are 969 So, I mean, it's very close, but the models are now better at the humans at detecting those kinds of things. You know, humans have the problem of concentration and focus and, you know, fatigue and, you know, all the other kinds of things that, that computers don't. So over time, the computers have um, a better uh, capability simply because it doesn't have any of those problems. It's never distracted when it's doing yeah, its work. That's very interesting. So the success rate just keeps amplifying as as you put data in, it, it just keeps building its capability then. Yeah, because it sees more, and then, you know, there's a bunch of different ways to train those models, you know, um, from you know, supervised, where we, we tell it, hey, here's, you know, a thousand examples um, of, you know, red, green, and blue, and then we, we give it another sample that says this red, green, or blue, and then we know whether it's red, green, or blue, right? That's supervised learning. But then there's unsupervised learning, uh, which is we can give it a whole bunch of data, and it draws conclusions between uh, facets of the data that humans may not have seen before, and then you can use that to also train models. That's impressive. So, so what, they take a medium approach to that? What do you mean? Well, when, when the machine looks at certain data and they see a wide range, do they like hone in on the median of that? in the middle oh okay um actually what's going on there is um it, it's pattern recognition right it's, it's oh. actually doing pattern analysis so if you think of you, you think of having a spreadsheet maybe and your spreadsheet is not just you know five or six columns wide but a thousand columns wide um and then let's say it's not you know 10 rows of data but a thousand or ten thousand rows of data It'd be big, and, and you handed that to a person, even a very good statistician or someone who's really good at Excel, and said, hey, show me the relationship between all of this data. You know, a human can't really do that. Yeah. Uh, they, they can draw conclusions between a couple of things in relationship to a couple of things, but not thousands of things in relationship to tens of thousands of things. And that's where you need the processing power of, of like an unsupervised learning model, which will come back and say, there is patterns here that you may not see. And then it's up to the human then to determine, is that a pattern that is worthwhile that we want to uh, go investigate more? That's interesting. Now, the other day, uh, I was reading an article where Google 
they just announced that they have performed a quantum bit flip. Um, that's kind of odd to me to recognize what that means. I understand the concept where it can be a one or a two or both. Right. What What yeah. is power of that when you actually look at that? What's the power of that quantum bit in quantum computing? Yeah, so what quantum computing amplifies your total processing power, right? So if we say that that a, a, a gate, right, is either zero open or closed, mm -hmm. um, if we can then use quantum computing, which then use superpositioning, which it can be both open, it can be open, closed, open and closed, or or none, right? That mm -hmm. you know that takes us from essentially binary uh, processing to tertiary or or quad processing that just gives us a, a lot more capability to process data. So powering all of this, it must take an immense amount of power. Oh, yeah, no, that's, how, that's... how do they get all of that power? <laughs> it, it doesn't actually, because uh, if you think about electrons, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you know, the, uh, all they're doing is, is using the positional power of an electron uh, instead of a fixed gate of true or false. It could be you can have a lot of different outcomes. But it's the same. It's the same electrons you're using for binary processing. So a a, a I mean, our our desktops will start coming out with quantum uh, chips in them in the next three or four years. And you're not going to notice a, a huge electrical <laughs> consumption you know, problem. It's, it's just sort of the math of how it's all working in the system. Okay, that's very interesting. So we don't have to fear a big leap in energy consumption then by transferring into this quantum world. Yeah, just like, uh, just like you know, as we pushed uh, you know, CPUs and GPUs to get, you know, more transactions, uh, you know, higher speeds and, and those kind of things. You, you know, we didn't, we didn't, uh, we didn't exponentially increase the power consumption of our PCs, right? That's how we can still have laptops with i9 processors. i9 processor is, is a, is a, just a, a majestic increase from the old, you know, the old 8088, right, that we started off yeah. with. Um, but you're really not talking about more power consumption. Quantum computing just takes us to the next step. It takes us off of essentially a binary plane into uh, a, you know a multi-dimensional plane of data that but it's, we're really not talking about additional power consumption. Yeah, that's interesting. That's good to know because I, I was confused about that aspect a little bit. You work in the medical field, and this this thing about uh Elon Musk he put out what is that Neuralink is that kind of what yeah. you're working with well the, the the project that I'm working on right now is uh a, a company called Include Health and what they're doing um or, or what I'm doing with them is uh we're building some machine learning and artificial intelligence around human body pose estimation so we can use now cameras, uh, really any camera, and I can we can watch what you're doing, and then we can determine. So the way that this is being used in Include Health is 
um, a physical therapy, you, you have a knee replacement, let's say, that you've had. The only way that you got physical therapy was if you would go to the physical therapist. So, you know, three, four, five times a week, you would have to drive to this location, do your therapy, and drive home. And they would give you some papers that say, here's the stretches and things you should do at home. Well, with COVID and, and all the things that have happened, the um, the ability to have someone recover in their home became dominant. So they want you to be able to come in and work with a physical therapist, the physical therapist to evaluate you, but then the physical therapist to be able to go, okay, I want you to do some squats and some shallow lunges and some hip abduction exercises and some knee stretches, and then be able to how to do those things, but then let you go home, sign into a web application, and then it can watch you and tell you if you're doing it right, and it can count your reps, and it can tell you if you're, if, you know, sort of what your angles of all your joints are and those kind of things, and then give that back to the clinician so the clinician can look at the results of the work you just did and go, yep, you're on track, you're doing good, but you you don't have to make that hour-long drive to and from the physical therapist. You don't have to wait in line. You don't have to be in the physical therapist's office. You can do it at your house, and we're doing all that through AI. Yeah, that's kind of neat because obviously in our world right now, Chris, we're dealing with this COVID pandemic and everybody's freaking out. And I don't even want to go to the doctor, but obviously we need that interaction. And what you're doing is bringing a concept of measurement through sensors, through cameras and uh, do you do temperature through, uh, you know, IR or anything like that for them? We don't, only because our goal and include health is to uh, make the recovery process work uh, anywhere. And so we don't have to supply any equipment. If you've got a cell phone with a camera, which pretty much everyone does, or you've got a laptop, or you've got a desktop that can do a webcam because you do Zoom, right? Yeah. We can use any of that equipment and um, help you manage your recovery uh, in physical therapy and let you work with your physical therapist directly. And this is all done by that machine learning and artificial intelligence doing the uh, analysis of what being seen on the camera yes yeah that's yeah. <laughs> and cool yeah that's we uh we started out and include uh with a 900 pound functional trainer so include health mission has always been accessibility for uh recovery right so we we uh, this was a 900 pound trainer um which was a big huge machine think of it sort of like a cybex machine or something you go to but if you didn't have a hand or you didn't have fingers or you're missing, you know, body parts, you were still able to work out. And that's what the machine was built for. Um, and then as we sold that machine into clinics and the Air Force, uh, what they what they wanted was, uh, you know, hey, can you can you wire up other machines? So we built a sensor platform, so an IoT sensor platform that we could put these little sensors on any piece of equipment in a gym. And it can count your reps and know how much weight you're doing and sort of that way the, the clinician can schedule your recovery across a number of different uh, machines, not just, you know, this one that we had initially built. And then, of course, the pandemic happened and 
we'd already started doing some work on LIDAR cameras and being able to understand human body movement. And that just accelerated us into, look, I don't, I don't even need a LIDAR camera. I just need any camera. And then we, we built a bunch of machine learning models and, and we actually uh, worked with Google uh, to help them with theirs. And um, that allows us then to sort of tie into anyone's camera in any environment, see what the person is doing and then lead them through their physical therapy. Yeah. So how do you find out your market viability and product concept? Well, so because uh, and include anyway, they, they were around and sold that trainer and then sold the platforms. And then so, um, one of the reasons why I came on board full time with and included was specifically around, um, you know, us sort of going to the next level and you know, going through that venture round and you did our series and then out into market. Um, for regular products, you know, or for other products, we, we always talk about, you know, uh, the customer market fit and, and understanding who your customer is and what their goal is. And include, while we're selling to the physical therapists and selling to the payers, our, the customer really is the patient, right? The person that's going to be in their house that has to learn how to do, that, that has to go from shallow squats eventually deep squats that and then we know that they've recovered because we can actually measure all of the angles of like what the angle of your knee while you're while you're doing the squat and we can actually see you progress and get better um so as it goes out to commercialization it is really the ability for um us to democratize the, the product and get it out to everybody okay another thing that i noticed uh on the podcast, you were talking about a suicide app uh, for suicide prevention, where they can actually measure tone and, you know, deflection of the voice to yeah. help prevent suicide. Can you talk to us a little bit about sure. that? Yeah, that was a that was a client that that we worked with um, at AWH. That uh, it was. The Children's Hospital in Cincinnati had done a study on suicide, and what they did is they built one of those machine learning models um, around language, uh, where it's like Lead Health is all around camera and vision, right? So vision processing. But the it was a, the 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 hospital, the Children's Hospital in Cincinnati uh, was around uh, language. What they did was they they took they started with sixty suicide letters. And they used that as that data and started to train a model to understand um, the, that unsupervised, like what is re what's relational between these these um, letters, right? It's not the words necessarily saying. It, is, it, is it is it how they're is it, is it tone, voice, all kinds of other things. Um, so then what happened is they they built that first model and then started to do clinical trials where they were able to. Um, we help them uh, build an app that we could essentially a clinician can turn on and then it would listen to what was going on in the room. So as a clinician, like if you or I were having a conversation, uh, the app would be able to listen to that conversation. And then it was, it was sending our conversation out. It was getting transcribed. It was bringing that back. And then it was starting to run it through these models um, that allowed us to then understand um, essentially the risk of suicide ideation, right? So then what happened is after the clinician got done having their consult, 
um, it would go, you know, on, on a, there's a couple of scales uh, that these are done on. Um, based on the scale, where do you think this person is? And then we would use that to help train it. Sort of like in the old days when, when uh, you know, Google had CAPTCHA and they would go find the, the photographs yeah. with the motorcycles in them. Right? You were actually training a machine model. You didn't realize that you were training a machine model. Um, so the clinician, you know, would help with that. And then what happened is as those models got better and better, um, not only with suicidation, but it can also uh, recognize other mental disorders, depression, um, schizophrenia, you know, a number of them. So even with just a conversation with a clinician, with this app in the room, the app was then able to provide the clinician with additional information about um, the scoring mechanisms for a number of mental health things that then the clinician could use to uh, help that person. It's remarkable what computer learning things can do for us. And what what do you see coming down the path for interaction and connectivity for us into this new world? Well, I think, and uh, I'm not one of the uh, uh, fear our computer overlords. I'm more of a... Uh, um, I think that the the types of work that I've been involved with anyway is um, either to assist somebody like a clinician with someone's mental health or uh, like an include health to assist a physical therapist or someone recovering their house without, you know, having to go to the extra uh, effort of having to drive to physical therapy constantly. I think um, the way I view uh, AI and the machine learning you know, mechanisms and sort of how we're going to use it is it's, it's and just another tool to make our lives better. Uh, so I think it, it, and it really already has become so ingrained that you don't even realize it's happening, right? If you're using Waze and you're driving down the road and Waze says, oh, I'm recalculating for you, take this next exit, uh, you know, it changes your route. Uh, AI did that. Machine learning models did that. They could constantly analyzing trip data, it's constantly analyzing other people on the road is constantly analyzing traffic data, and then it's making decisions and then and then giving you the recommendation, we think you should get off here and go a different route and it will save you six minutes. You can certainly choose not to. Um, but I've come to that, like with Waze, I've come to that as Waze comes up and tells me I should take a really weird turn, I just take it. Uh, <laughs> because those, it's already analyzed, you know, all the permeations of what could happen uh, on the road that I'm on, and there's no way I can have that understanding, right? So I think yeah. it's it's going to benefit us from, um, you know, in ways that we're already using. Yeah, that's a big change just from a few years back when they were having so many issues with these GPS units and whatnot. So, and I've also noticed that they're using user input data to control what's being placed on these maps and things now. Say there's a roadblock or an intersection that's just flooded with traffic. They've already, like you said, modeled that out and understood it through data that's coming in at many different points. So our world is surrounded by this stuff. Our stoplights, our refrigerators, our toasters, our telephones. So, yeah, I'm I'm with you. I don't think we need to fear 
this, I think we need to understand it. And that only way to do that is to talk to people like you. Yeah, I, I, I make the joke all the time because you do presentations on artificial intelligence and machine learning. And I say, okay, you know, every time you hear somebody say our product uses artificial intelligence, in your mind, switch out the word math. Because that's all really this is, right? It's advanced mathematics. There's no, there's no sentient logic. It is just math. So when someone says, oh, we built a text editor with artificial intelligence, Okay, you built a text editor with math in it. Good. Okay, good. Yes. Right. It's making it's helping you make decisions based on calculating things, right? And, and that's really what that's really what we're doing. Actually, that's a good way to describe that, Chris, because that right there eases the mind just understanding that, and and that really can help forward the progress of what needs to happen with some of these beneficial systems that are being held up in legislation and all this garble because of the misunderstanding of what AI and machine learning truly is. Yeah, I mean and and really if you if you if you if you want to scrape off all of the hype, um, it really is if if you Google a, a sigmoid function, that's all artificial intelligence really is. It's thousands and thousands and thousands of sigmoid functions. Uh, that are taking data in and pushing data out and possibly to other sigmoid functions. And then we are interpreting what that actually means, right? And that's all really at the, at the, at the base of it. And, you know, when people talk about neural networks and, you know, oh, it sounds scary, but it's really not. It's really, it's really thousands of functions passing data amongst themselves. And then, and then based on sort of the output of all those functions and then tensors, which are the ability to change the in, the input through output of a function. Um, it, we have then go, we then can interpret that to say, this this input of all of these pixels is a cat, right? Because we've trained all of those signaling functions to recognize cat. And that's, that's really all we're doing. Yeah, so the Terminator is not coming to get everybody. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> there is no, no such thing as general artificial intelligence, which is what a Terminator would be, right? Yes. And and really, you know, we jokingly talk about that, but uh, to ease up fears, the the intelligence, the data, the technology, it's only as good as the people pushing it out. Yeah, and, and and one of the big one of the big issues that we have right now, um, and it's very very much in the news and is very sort of apparent in in the ML communities or AI communities is is bias, right? Your the data that we train those models with, the the model the model isn't inherently biased. The model is biased by the data it's, it's trained with. If you took a kid, right, or you know go back down to Plato and Socrates, right? With the concept of the cave. If you took a kid, put him in a cave, you never saw color, he would never know color existed. Machine models are very much the same way. Right? So yes. when, when we when we realize that models are biased, it's because they've been trained incorrectly. Yes. And and once we recognize that, we can actually uh focus on finding the people that are very well at putting models together because they're focused in on where it counts the data input so exactly 
that's where we want to put our money, our funds towards. How how do we how do we recognize the funding of all of this? I I know the government has their hand in it somehow, but yet the private sector is kind of running things. What what's the correlation between that? Yeah, so um, in in the projects that I've worked on, and we have done projects for the Air Force, um, the they are typically not involved in the creation process. At least the projects that I've been on, they're they're not in the creation process. And I know that there are there are organizations in the government that are, but they are more interested in the consumption of the output of what we're building. Right. So the Air Force was very interested in warfighter training using the um, the uh, the machine learning we did around cameras, right? So uh, if if they could have a room full of, of airmen or, or uh, working out and, uh, you know, it was able to count everybody's rep and it was able to understand that they're doing it correctly and it was able to give individualized feedback back to individual airmen, um, without having an instructor watch every single person, that was to the benefit and actually you know, made the warfighter a, a, you know, better because they were able to get feedback on their training. Um, so it's, it's when you look at those kind of things, it, it, I, I haven't seen the government in the driver's seat of creation. I see the government in the consumption or early consumption in helping with funding as organizations build better and better models. Yeah, because actually that's kind of the benefit of the government to help organize these things in a way that they're beneficial to the public. And yes. a lot of our technology, like you just said, is base funded by the government military plans. And then it comes to us later after it's perfected and rolled out. So Chris, Yeah, we looked at... We we look at so many things we have today, and and uh, and I always make the joke, uh, you know, yeah. when we're when we're arguing with people on Facebook that this is why we went to the moon so we could have Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, you just never know what comes out of it, you know. Exactly. <laughs> because like WD forty, it's not a lubricant. Oh, I know. Yeah, that that was a uh, coating <laughs> to a missile. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody uses things different, and uh, that's the benefit of finding different applications for things. Do you have anything to add to our conversation, Chris, or do you have a call to action for anybody? Uh, I, I think that uh, technology, you know, just generically, um, it, it means everyone to sort of understand it at the next level. You know, on the surface, things can seem scary. On the surface, things can seem easily mistreated um but at the end of the day like i said especially about like artificial intelligence and machine learning at the end of the day it's math and if you understand it uh you don't have to be a, you know a, a machine learning engineer but it, to understand sort of what the process is and how someone arrived at what they've what they've got i think demystifies a lot of those kind of things and it's really incumbent upon all of us to understand the things that we use on a day-to-day -day basis at some level Yes, that's that's very true. And a lot of us get naive with the things that we use and we take them for granted. I agree. So how can people get a hold of you, Chris, and connect with you? 
Uh, LinkedIn is always a great way, especially if you, if you tell me that you heard me uh, on this podcast, I, I'm, I connect. Uh, I used, I have a rule uh, that unless I've met you or you tell me how I've met you, uh, I don't connect on LinkedIn, but that is always the best way. And of course, awh.net is our website. That's, that's yeah, probably a pretty easy way to get hold of me as well. And LinkedIn, I'm just Chris Lee uh, at, on LinkedIn and uh, be more than happy to connect and have this kind of conversation with anybody. Well, I sure do appreciate you bringing your knowledge and your expertise on the Dead America podcast because we love learning new things, and we definitely learned a few things from you, Chris. Thank you so much. Oh, it was a pleasure. At any time you want, I'm more than happy to come in and talk technology with you. Thank you for joining us today. If you found this podcast enlightening, entertaining, educational in any way, please share, like, subscribe, and join us right back here next week for another great episode of Dead America Podcast. I'm Ed Waters, your host. Enjoy your afternoon, wherever you may be.